Welcome to Radio Survive. We're here for the love of radio and sound. My name is Eric Klein. And I'm Jennifer Waits. And on today's show, we're joined by General Manager and Program Director of Radio Station WFMU, Ken Friedman. Ken, thanks for joining us today on Radio Survivor. Hi, Eric. Hi, Jennifer. Hi. So, Ken, uh, how are things going right now, broadcasting in the age of coronavirus? Uh, well, WFMU is on the air. Uh, we have all of our, all four channels are on the air. Uh, WFMU Ooh. proper doesn't have as much live programming as I had hoped. We have maybe, at this point, maybe 20 live shows per week and then 35 that are either pre-recorded or uh, reruns of older archives. And uh, we're trying to get 30 to 40 of our regular weekly DJs and fill-ins uh, up and running from home studios. And that's probably one of the huger, uh, the huger challenges that we've had is uh, trying to get so many new home recorders and home streamers up and running so quickly. Uh, we're operating the station with a skeleton crew of eight people. We try not to have more than three people in the station at any one time. So the skeleton crew is doing live shows. Our morning person, Clay Pigeon, is doing live shows. I lent him a car so that he could get in and out of the city where he lives without having to take mass transit, uh, and he could continue isolating himself. Mm. So, uh, yeah, it's, 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 it's changing every day. I think every week we're having a few more live shows on, and uh, I hope that in a couple of weeks will be mostly live shows. This, this disaster is so completely different from any disaster we've ever had before, such as 9-11 uh, or Hurricane Sandy, in that after those disasters, uh, there was no question that we couldn't really hold to the program schedule, so we just filled it up with whoever was able to get on the air, and it was all live. Uh, now this one has, this one, this disaster is very frustrating because Everybody, it's, a, it's a broadcaster's dream to get on the air right now because you have this homebound captive audience worldwide. Uh, you have a common uh, thing that everybody can discuss and commiserate over, but then it's not safe to go into the radio station. Uh, so Yeah, especially, it, yeah, it's, it's, especially I mean, your, your radio station there is in New Jersey, and also, you know, it's like in, in my mind uh, in my pu in my public imagination my radio imagination you're very much like a station of the city of new york and um your city has now become really uh to to abuse the term the ground zero of of the virus it's, it has the most cases it has it seems to have the most of a as far as a public health emergency it's happening uh, where your radio station physically is and so it's not just dif it's difficult for people to travel to get to work Oh, yeah. We only have one person coming in from the city right now. The skeleton crew is mostly people who live in Jersey City and Hoboken, you know, within a mile or two of the station. And uh, the only DJ who's coming in from New York City is our morning guy, Clay Pigeon. Uh, and I, as I said, he isolates at home, but I lent him a car so he could get in and out uh, to do his show every day without having to get onto mass transit. Did WFMU air pre-recorded or remote programming before uh, this period of time? Well, we've done tons of remote broadcasts for 10 or 15 years. We've done all sorts of cool remote broadcasts from all sorts of crazy locations. So we, we had that technology down. But uh, this disaster, I think, also demonstrated a, a huge digital divide between WFMU proper, 
uh, and the other three channels, which are made up of such as Ichiban stream, the Give the Drummer Radio stream, and the Sheena's Jungle Room stream. Those are our three alternate channels, uh, which have DJs from all over the world uh, piping into the server from their homes. Uh, so those people all know how to broadcast live remotely. Uh, but by and large, the DJs on FMU didn't. Um, so, the, so the station does, and our engineers know how, but the, but this, the staff itself, uh, you know, the 40 to 55 uh, volunteers um, who, ma who make up the weekly schedule, most of them didn't have home studios. Most of them had no idea how to go about broadcasting live. So, so that main schedule, you guys, normally everyone would do their show from the studio. Yeah, and in fact, that's, that, that, that's an interesting thing in that in the last uh, 15 years, I've been fighting this trend from DJs wanting to phone in their shows for one reason or another, because they're sick or it's just more convenient for them. Um, and I've always fought against that. Uh, as a community radio station, I really wanted WFMU to not be local and regional, but also live. Uh, and I wanted it to be coming from our studios. I didn't want to become, just because it's technically possible to have DJs coming from all over the place from their home studios, I still did not want to do that because I thought that would really mess up the sound of the station uh, and it would also meant up, mess up the internal community of, of the station. So you must have really struggled. How did you come to the conclusion that, that you really couldn't have DJs in the studio live? Um, I think in the same way that a lot of people came to the conclusion, we were doing our fundraiser when um, everything really hit the fan. So we started our fundraiser on February 29th, and it was over the course of the fundraiser that it became clear that everything was closing down. And we even considered canceling the rest of the fundraiser once things got serious, but then we just decided we would hang in there and make it to the end. And then when we made it to the end of the fundraiser on March 15th, uh, my official my official line at that time was nobody has to come to the station if they feel uncomfortable. Those who do come to the station can come as long as you disinfect at the beginning of your shift and cover the microphone uh, with a paper with paper towels, et cetera, et cetera. So I laid down all these rules. Immediately, it became clear that that wasn't going to work. Yeah, it it it, be, it it became clear that there were people on staff who didn't even believe the virus was real. Uh, that and then there were people who who were very much down, who wanted to, uh, who wanted to be careful, but still didn't get it, uh, didn't didn't understand the importance of covering up the mic screen at the beginning of the shift. So within a couple of days of that, I said, okay, no volunteers. We're going to an all skeleton crew, and uh, the the program schedule remains in place. Uh, but please work on getting in recorded shows as soon as you can, and then live shows as soon as you can. And in the meantime, I'll air, I'll air archives, but but I'm not going to let. Uh, the reruns go on forever. And had you uh, aired archives before? No, no. That was always the absolute. Th that's that's what's so frustrating is airing archives, uh, which are all publicly available for the last ten years. Uh, no, longer than that. The last twenty years. We have twenty years of archives up on our website. Yeah, the internet's been around uh, for a while. Yeah. So um, the idea of rebroadcasting archives was always the absolute last ditch thing that we would do. And we actually never did it. We always managed to get a live host in or a new pre-recorded show in, and we never actually had to run an archive. And then all of a sudden, here we are running, you know, 12 hours a day of archives. And the archives are great. The music's great, but they're full of all sorts of dated references and incorrect references about 
concerts and events and happenings and the next show coming up is all wrong. Everything's wrong. And yeah, how are you? How are you getting around that? Or are you not getting around it? Are you are you airing disclaimers? Nope. We're editing out uh, the next show that's coming up. I'm encouraging DJs to pick shows from certain months of the year so that we don't have any of our big events that they're talking about coming up. So I'm, I'm encouraging people to pick shows from May, June, or July from 2019 or 2018. So it's not so long ago that our legal ID had changed. Wow. Uh, we, ex we experienced that, people airing archives from 10 or 12 years ago where the legal ID was actually different. Um, what I'm doing now is I'm going into the end of the show and at least editing out when people say, stay tuned for so-and-so. If so-and-so is not coming up, I am taking that out. But meanwhile, the shows have so much concert and performance and movie information that's all incorrect. And no, I'm not trying to edit that out. Uh, basically, the hardcore community of listeners and fans and donors that we have know what's going on. Uh, we still have a very, actually a more active chat community than ever. Um, our, our streaming traffic and our chat traffic has gone through the roof since people yeah. are at home. Yeah. So, so WFMU is, is unique. I don't know many radio stations that have live chat within, you have them within your online playlists. So yeah, can you talk about what people are chatting about in those playlists? Uh, the virus. I mean, you know, that's all anybody is talking about. Uh, but yeah, the chat traffic has gone through the roof. It's probably doubled. Uh, the uh, streaming traffic has probably gone up by about 20%. Um, you know, people are stuck at home. So anybody who anybody who ever listened to FMU, I guess, has decided to check us out uh, during during the situation. Mm -hmm. And it's very exciting, especially when during those shows when we do have a live DJ on. It's it's still nice to see this live chat community happening around an archive. And they all know that it's an archive. They all tell one another that it's an archive. New people come in and they say, is this live or archived or pre-recorded? And then everybody says, oh, it's this one's pre-recorded. Um, so and do you, know, you have those um, now I'm getting really into the weeds because uh, you know as you know I'm also uh, a college radio DJ and I've been trying to figure this out airing my own archived shows and and while we don't have the same sort of chat capabilities at KFJC where I am as you do at WFMU I tried to simulate that by doing it on social media during an archive show of mine so I'm mm -hmm. curious if you have if the show hosts uh, who who are on the archives originally are they chiming in in the chats during those shows? Yeah, yeah. In fact, I'm requiring them to do that. Mm. I'm actually requ I'm That's requiring I'm, uh, the 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 uh, you know I decided when this thing you know when it became clear just how serious this was going to be and the fact that it wasn't like Hurricane Sandy that just washed over us and knocked all our transmitters and our studios out because of no electricity. This was a calculated transition into a different way of broadcasting. And I decided to keep the schedule intact to try to keep the community of listeners together, to try to keep the staff together, you know, as much as possible. Uh, and, that, and, 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 and one of the requirements was that if we do air an archive or a pre-recorded show of yours, I want you to be at home entering the songs and artists in and chatting with the listeners as it airs. So it becomes something that I call half live. And have so you gotten have you gotten feedback from DJs? Well, for me personally, when I've been doing that, it makes me feel a sense of normalcy as well, like I'm doing my show and, right. and engaging with listeners. So uh, have you heard the same sort of feedback from your DJs? 
No, but but from the listeners I have, um, I, the DJs don't feel like they're doing a live show, but um, they are interacting with the listeners, and that's always nice. And listeners are being so incredibly supportive um, and appreciative of of the fact that we're here, you know, that we're still here in a modified form, and you know, trying to get back to normal as much as possible. So it's really nice, especially when you see that your chat traffic is about double what it was. I mean, it's a really really super active chat. I mean, already before it was an active chat, but now it's absolutely, you know, kind of crazy how active it can get. You know, like a thousand posts in three hours um, is not a, is not unusual. Uh, but and that creates other issues, actually, uh, that we've sort of dealt with is that um, as the chat community has doubled, uh, so have the number of trolls that we have to deal hmm. with. Um, but we have tools for dealing with that, so that you know wasn't a big problem. But it was an interesting thing that happened. That while most people are being very supportive, of course, if you're going to double your traffic, you're going to get some troublemakers come in along with that traffic. Ken Friedman wow. of WFMU. Uh, one of the unique things about your radio station is that you're mentioning your chat, you're mentioning uh, your other streams that you've built, and. Um, WFMU built those uh, independent of the like you know I think a lot you know Jennifer mentioned that that uh, she's trying to to communicate with her radio listeners but she has to use Facebook to do it which is I think a very normal situation for most other community radio stations um, you built your own platform for that uh, do you think it was the yeah. right choice at this stage uh, yeah, absolutely. Although it was a very, we didn't realize, we didn't quite realize the choice we were making at the time. When we started doing our own coding back in around 2000, 2001, we were just trying to create tools that we needed uh, that didn't exist in any form yet. Um, and then as we built all the software, you know, it just built on itself and we just, it kept iterating. And then at a certain point, um, we started realizing like, my God, we kind of have a side business here or, or a very expensive side activity, which is software development and software maintenance. And I guess we went through a period of time where we were wondering like, why did we do that? Sure. <laughs> why are we spending, why are we spending all this money and effort on software development? But I always knew that like, we couldn't really be doing what we were doing if we had to re rely on third party social platforms like Facebook. And then this has really hammered it home. The, the fact that we have our own social community online that we completely control, uh, that we get to set the rules about it. We don't have to rely on a company, you know, an, an evil company like Facebook or Google. Uh, so now it seems yeah. very, very worth well, it. And you might not know. have as much experience at, with like why Facebook is, you know, and I you use the word evil, which is like fine. It's appropriate. But I find that like what's one of the bad things about Facebook is it's just like it's not practical for other reasons, like, for instance, uh, yesterday I tried to find something that was two years old on somebody's Facebook, and it became extremely frustrating and obvious that uh, nobody cares about the recent past on that platform. Do you have... Oh, Eric, 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 you should hear yourself sometimes. Facebook knows much better what you want to see than you do. You really have to start just trusting Facebook. They know best. So how's... I mean, does WFMU have a Facebook page? Yes, we do, <laughs> but we all detest. We all detest Facebook mm -hmm. and Google and Apple. You know, on a philosophical basis, uh, we know that a lot of our listeners are there, and of course, be before you know, before the utter uh, evil, you know, that Google and 
and Facebook are responsible for became very clear, you know, we took a more benign view of them. So yes, we still have, uh, we still do have a Facebook community and a Twitter community and an Instagram community. So we still do all that. Um, But fortunately, you know, the social platform that is really important to the station is our own. Yeah, and you were mentioning that you you actually built those tools, like I'm gonna guesstimate like about four years before they were more like widely available for free from these other platforms that then data mine your audience uh, to, to, to make their money back. Like at, it, it, there's like a philosophical or, or an eth, uh, like a ideological reason to build the platform that you built, but also practically um, you were, you were a little, you were a few years ahead of when these things were, were, were easily available. Yeah, I would say more than four years ahead, but maybe you know better th- better than I, I do. But I mean, it was a, it was an outgrowth. It was an outgrowth of uh, of radio, where it was always clear to me that the one thing for FMU anyway, the one thing that listeners want to know more than anything else is what was the name of that song, what is the name of the song playing now. So as soon as we went online, it became clear to me that you know, as soon as we started streaming online, it became clear to me that we could put that information right on the website. So we initially started doing it by hand coding it. I was hand coding it in HTML. Um, and I tried to teach a couple of other DJs how to hand code in HTML. And that turned out to be pretty difficult, although I did teach a yeah, couple of people we to should, do it. We should let listeners know who are not familiar with WFMU's foundational myths, like uh, when when, what year was that that WFMU went on the internet uh, with a website that told listeners what song was playing? Uh, about 1998, but only on certain shows. Yeah. Uh, because it was only the people who could hand code in HTML. Very, very primitive HTML, but still they had to know how to use the brackets and all that. So around 1999, 2000, we started coding a way uh, for people to enter the song information so that it would get displayed on the website, you know, without... We, we tried to create, you know, a, a content management system. Uh, and Kenzo, Ken Garson, a.k.a. Kenzo, got that up for us. He also does a show on WTJU. And uh, it was incredibly popular. People loved it. Um, and and we just iterated on top of that. And maybe about, I think maybe around uh, 2001, 2002 is when we started allowing chat on the playlists. Hmm. Um, yeah, so it's just be, we've just been building building it one step at a time for a very long time. And, and uh, we're, we're still trying to make it available to other people also, but that's a whole nother story. <laughs> and the other, um, the other like foundational myth, I mean, when I first spoke with you uh, about 15 years ago, I'm going to guess uh, the soundbite that still rings in my head every time I think about WFMU is you told me that um, you saw the, the listener graphs uh, cross the streams uh, early that you had more listeners online than in the in your terrestrial audience, which again is not a not a shabby. It's the number one media market. If I'm not speaking out of school, uh, you, you know you're in you're in the New York City area, and yet you um, when you built your radio station to also stream on the internet uh, rather early, you built a huge audience there as well. Um, now here we are in the future. Uh, what do you you were just mentioning uh, about ten minutes ago that you've seen your online audience um, explode during during these uh, lockdown times? Yeah. Although probably at the same time we we probably have fewer people listening to our terrestrial 
signal because there's fewer, there's much less traffic, like automobile traffic is right. what I mean. Um, so, you know, we, we, we always got a ton of listenership in the morning, during morning drive time and during afternoon drive time when there's so many people driving around New Jersey and New York. So, you know, I don't know if our overall audience has gone up, but the streaming traffic has gone up by about 20%. We don't, we, we don't measure ourselves in terms of Arbitron or Nielsen. Um, so I don't know how much our terrestrial audience has diminished because of the lack of cars on the road. The lack of drive time is that changing how you're doing programming? Not knowing sort of when you have live DJs right now, has, has that affected that schedule and what you're talking about, the fact that fewer people are in cars? Not really. It really hasn't affected it much. We, we are still on the air live during morning drive time because um, our morning guy, Clay Pigeon, is coming in every morning, 6 to 9 a.m., um, it's affected things a little bit. We don't, you know, the schools are all closed, so we're not doing our, he's not doing his morning school lunch menu report, um, which was actually not really a school lunch menu report anyway. It was more like a hallucinatory um, school lunch menu segment. Hmm. Uh, <laughs> but but the schools are all closed, so we're not doing that anymore. And, and just, just a couple of very minor things like that that have changed. But other than that, uh, we still have a large audience in the morning, um, just just not as many people driving around in cars. And I know but there are there are still a lot of cars on the road, though. I'm still driving around all over the place, and I'm actually uh, surprised how many people are still driving around. Yeah, I mean, I and there are definitely a lot of essential people with essential jobs who have to drive to them. So it makes sense, you know. On the one hand, a lot of people are locked down, but there are also a lot of people who still are going to work. So yeah. There will be, there will be cars out there. Um, I know. I know. Eric was really interested in how you guys are handling call-ins. Uh, do you have people calling in and talking about the coronavirus and how it's affecting them? And and do you take call-ins on a regular basis at WFMU? Um, we go further than that. We actually do live on-air coronavirus testing. Um, people call us up and tell us how they feel, and we can tell instantly whether they're positive or negative for coronavirus. And how on earth is that possible, <laughs> Ken Freeman? Uh, that's what we did last night on the comedy show. The only call-in show we have right now is Seven Second Delay, uh, Wednesday night, 6 to 7 p.m. So that's unfortunate that this thing hit at, at a time when we were down to one call-in show. Yeah. Um, but uh, we've been talking about it nonstop on that show. And last night, that's what we did as a joke was uh, live on radio coronavirus right. testing. And I guess and I should tell listeners who may or may not be tuning in in the distant future uh, that this is uh, gallows humor because testing. That was a joke. Yes, yeah. that was a joke, people. Well, and it, it was a joke. It's a significant joke because um, part of the reason it appears as though why we're in this uh, uh lockdown situation that doesn't have a scheduled conclusion is uh, the lack of testing. There was no plan to right. test. And so uh, many people are left with this uh, unanswered question that they get to mull over uh, in all their free time is, do I have this virus or not? Will I get it tomorrow? Or did I already get it yesterday? And there's no way to know unless, uh, unless you're an NBA player or Tom Hanks. It's, so, it's, it's really terrible. One of our DJs, we've had a whole bunch of DJs actually who, who have been presumed positive. And uh, one of our DJs, Dave the Spaz, is home uh, with his wife. They're both very sick, very, very sick. 
and they can't get, they still cannot get tested. Uh, and they've been told that basically they can't get tested until they go to the emergency room. Which would they be can't very go dangerous. To the, right. And they can't go to the emergency room until they're having trouble breathing. So it, it's, it's a complete ridiculous catch-22 situation right. because I, I would think that would be the last. If he was truly having trouble breathing, why would he want to get up and just be put in a hallway for 18 hours? Right. And I, right. You know, or be I'm put, ass, I'm or assuming, be put in a tent. I'm assuming that this is the... The, that the, this is the plan that the hospitals are are suggesting, not because they love this plan, but because it's it's a serious case of um, triage where, right. where they, they have don't no have other beds. choice. They don't, yeah, they don't have beds. They don't have test kits. They don't have ventilators. They don't have anything. But uh, when Jennifer asked about Collins, uh, I had been I had been hoping. You know, actually, one of the things that I I recently learned about radio history that I didn't know is that like um, that listener Collins were extremely popular on late night radio in the 70s. I heard, um, I was actually listening to uh, David Sedaris's diaries read aloud by the author, and he was talking about uh, his obsession in the 1970s in Chicago with a listener call-in radio show that was sort of, mm-hmm. um, it was free-form listener call-ins, and I have no idea. It sounded like it might have very well been a commercial radio station, and I just found it to be, um, I think that it's one of radio's last uh, true um, advantages, right? Like since radio is in a community like uh, physically and then people are listening to it live unlike every other form of uh, entertainment that we sort of consume these days, it, it's the one place where you can where you can sh- have this uh, the virtual town hall of the airwaves. Um, and then it seems so important these days when we're when we're under so much strange stress and isolation to have that forum um i'm wondering if if you i mean so you, you only have this one call-in show right now um yeah yeah although some people have started um doing impromptu call impromptu call-ins on their three-hour free-form shows yeah um and i do hope to have more call-ins i mean the call-ins are great people people love uh, being able to get on the air and just talk about it and just talk about anything. Uh, there's a lot of people who are just stuck at home alone. Um, so, yeah, the call-ins have been great. It was just the luck of the draw that when this hit, uh, at that moment, we only had one actual weekly call-in show. Uh, and, and as I said, I, as, as tempted as I am to disrupt the schedule and put in more talk shows, for example, and more call-in shows, I'm trying to keep the whole community together um, which is why I'm respecting the schedule that we had before the emergency began. Ken, what's it like doing a comedy show during a crisis like this? And you talked about you have DJs who you suspect have coronavirus. So obviously, you know, you're you're worried and have a lot of, um, you know, you have a depth of emotions about what is happening in your community. So how have you approached your comedy show the past few weeks? Uh, I guess more carefully than usual, um, but fortunately, I think a lot of the staff and the listeners are used to WFMU being incredibly irreverent, and uh, and we we certainly have gotten some complaints. I got one complaint because I was using during our fundraiser, um, I did a lot of coronavirus comedy, and at one point I had a ventilator sound effect, which I'm still using on the air when I when I talk on the air. I'm using. Uh, the sound effect of a ventilator machine along with a Frank Sinatra uh, very happy tape loop over it. 
and uh, a woman called up very, very angry about that. But that's outweighed by, you know, 100 people just being so happy that we're, you know, providing an alternate approach to the whole thing. Um, when we did the show last night, coronavirus testing, you know, just ridiculous, you know, just absurdly uh, bad testing procedures. Um, Andy, my comedy partner, he came up with that idea two weeks ago. And <laughs> for two weeks in a row, uh, he bailed at the last minute. At the last minute, he said, I can't do it. No, I can't do it. My wife's sister is in the hospital now. I can't do it. Um, so that was two weeks ago. And then last night, we were planning on doing it again. She's out of the hospital. She's okay. We can do the testing oh. now. She's fine. She's going to be fine. So and going into last night's show, I thought we were going to do it. And then an hour before, again, he was like, no, I can't do it. There's just too many people, too many people in the hospital. And so last night when we were on the air, I kind of tricked him. Um, I said, you know, you've wanted to do coronavirus testing on the radio for a couple of weeks now, but you've bailed out. What if we just do one or two right now? And he said, okay, we'll just do one or two. So we did one or two, and then he was fine. Then we did it for the rest of the hour. And everybody was very happy, and everybody knew it was a joke, and and it was really fun. And and the station is very irreverent, so I would imagine that people are tuning in, looking for that, and and yeah, absolutely, yeah, absolutely. The people who know the station, but what happens in a situation like this, um, you know, when you have when you have a disaster that brings people to the radio, is you get a lot of brand new listeners, and, or a lot of very casual listeners who are now listening regularly. And we have definitely encountered people who are not used to WFMU's irreverence uh, and the you know the style of underdog you know, humor that, that flourishes on WFMU. So, you know, we've had, we've had the, the random complaint here and there of people who just um, don't quite get FMU and, you know, don't understand how we can be talking over ventilator sound effects and things yeah. like that. Uh, Ken Friedman, general manager and program director at WFMU there in New Jersey and in the New York City media market. Um, you were speaking earlier about uh, these channels that you built, these um, separate radio station uh, radio stations within the WFMU online radio station that uh, has also has live DJs. It's not a it's not a computer playlist. It you know you have you have uh, real humans making real radio live uh, live on the internet. And and, and you had also told us that uh, those folks, those volunteer DJs, um, they are they are your your um, your most well trained work from home uh, radio disc jockeys. Uh, How's, yeah. how's that going for them? Well, that's going great for them. Their traffic has gone up as well. They didn't have to change anything because um, they're all they're all home alone anyway. Um, they've been helping the other DJs. I've tried to actually set up a student-teacher relationship uh, so that of my 40 DJs who are trying to set up home studios, I've set them up with, uh, with some of the uh, alternate stream DJs who've already been doing it and know it very well. Um, so rather than trying to like offer classes or God forbid, try to offer technical help in a listserv environment, I'm just trying to team up people one-on-one. -on -one. So in general, I'm taking WFMU DJs and hooking them up with DJs from our alternate channels so they can, uh, so they can, you know, one person can help another get up and running from home. And how many, how many of those, uh, live streaming, you know, real life, uh, real time DJs, uh, exist on the WFMU stream channels? On WFMU proper, or on on the um, on those other stations that are on your app 
that, I mean, that's how I. Oh, there must them. be. I guess between all three of them, between Ichiban, Drummer, and Sheena, we must have Ooh. about fifty hmm. uh, people who are broadcasting from home. And where could you describe those those different channels briefly, and where the people are who are programming for them? Uh, Sheena, Sheena's Jungle Room stream, I guess, is a lot of people from the West Coast. Um, it's it's run by uh, a mashup artist and producer who goes by the name Mr. Fab and, and records under the name the RIAA, uh, and he's California based. So a lot of people on the Sheena stream are are, are weirdos and artists and musicians coming from the West Coast. Um, Give the Drummer Radio is I guess more jazz based and uh, maybe traditional music based and less a little bit less rock based than FMU. And that's a lot of people on the East Coast. Um, that's run by Doug Shulkin, who used to do a weekly show on WFMU and then moved to Pittsburgh. So he oversees that all from Pittsburgh. But I think the majority of the uh, there, there there are some people from overseas as well on Drummer, uh, and there there's there, and there are people also from California. But the majority of them, I guess, are East Coasters, from uh, Boston down to Washington D.C. Um, and then the Ichiban stream uh, doesn't have as many live shows. It only has one live show, and the rest of it, uh, at, well, actually, it has this really amazing robot show overnight, uh, which we can talk about in a second. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, but the, the Ichiban stream uh, has only one live DJ, and uh, it's then made up of uh, archived shows and archived segments from WFMU and a huge, huge music bank. And that's very, very popular in Japan, that channel. It's, it's sort of like roots rock and roll, 1940s, 50s, 60s, uh, roots, blues, R&B, soul, rock and roll, that kind of thing. And then on the overnights, one of our DJs built this crazy automation system that does everything automated uh, on the overnight show, I think from midnight to 6 a.m. perhaps. And uh, not only the music is chosen automatically, but it also interacts. It interacts with people via the chat board and the phone also um, automatically. Um, And it reads poetry automatically. So there's a phone number that listeners can call up. And the DJ's name is Owl Sun. Um, He called it Owl Sun because I told him when I first heard the female robot voice that it reminded me of Allison Steele, who used to be a late night FM host in New York City. So he didn't want to call her Allison. He calls her Owl Sun. So people can call up a number and say, Owl Sun, I would like to hear you uh, do a poem about airplanes and pretzels. And then she will do it. The next time she comes on mic, she will say, here is a poem for Hal. And she'll just make up a poem about uh, airplanes and pretzels. Wow. And people, yeah, and people can also request songs. And if the song is in, a, is in the data bank, like if they heard the song on the channel two weeks prior, uh, she will play the song. Obviously, she can't play songs that they don't have. So people have learned to request songs that they've heard on the Ichiban channel before. Wow. And is- so that's a, th- yeah, that's a really, really cool automated thing that, that is happening every night uh, on the overnight of the, of the Ichiban stream. And you're yeah. saying what that is she's- <laughs> one of your volunteers just built that because they're amazing. Yeah, he's built, he's invented and built a lot of things. And now he's retired and just, you know, playing around with things like this. Yeah. What? How does she respond during? What sorts of things does she say when people are chatting? Yeah. Is with it? Her? Is that a live call <laughs> on the air or no? That's a personal call with with an AI that is a that is programming a radio well, station. Well, I guess there there are two things. There's there are the calls, but also I'm wondering about and she's chatting in the playlist. Is that what you're saying? Yeah, she's also chatting in the playlist. She'll say she'll say hello 
just a stock greeting. She'll say hello to anybody new who joins the chat. And then she has a couple of other, you know, responses that she can throw out there. Uh, it's not, it's nothing that impressive. It's not as impressive as your typical chat bot if you look up chat bots online. But, you know, it's cool that she greets every new person who, who joins in. And it, she it, has diff and she has different ways of greeting them also. So it seems a little bit less like a robot. It kind of reminds me of Eliza. If, if you ever played the Eliza psychiatrist on very old, it was a very old computer program yeah. where it was basically just standard things like, oh, I see. How are you doing right. today? Oh. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. <laughs> it's exactly like that. And then in terms of the voice stuff, she doesn't talk to people live. But people can call up and make a request, and then maybe five or ten minutes later, she'll introduce the request and say who the request came from and play the song. Or you can call up and request a poem, um, and then she'll, you know, five or ten minutes later, she'll say, this is a poem requested by so-and-so, and then she'll read a poem um, <laughs> that, that, that the AI composed. Now, has this uh, been going on overnight for quite a while, or is this a new overnight uh, program? This has been going on for about a year now. So fully prepared for the situation yeah. we're in with your overnight. Yeah, in fact, I've I've wanted to I've wanted to roll out that same robot AI program to the other streams as well, but we just haven't haven't gotten around to doing it yet. Yeah, Ken Friedman, general manager and program director at WFMU there in New York. Um, by my count, it's been about three weeks or so since you um, closed the station to the majority of your volunteers to to keep everyone else safe inside yeah today's actually today's the 15th day of the lockdown um so that's actually a big a big day because you know quarantines are 14 to 15 days so it was 15 days ago that we uh restricted access of the building to only the paid staff and uh, didn't allow volunteers in anymore so i think we're doing something right that we've made it 15 days with the skeleton crew working here and nobody's gotten sick yet and I mean, we are taking a lot of precautions. We're really, you know, we're being very, very careful. People have to take their temperature before entering the building. If they have a high temperature, they're not to enter the building. We have tons of bleach and alcohol and gloves and wipes. And, you know, we have a whole procedure for any time uh, board shift changes in terms of disinfecting the entire studio. Uh, we we, we cross-examine one another. The, the skeleton crew literally cross-examines one another about you know, what else is going on in your life? Because if you're, if you're not being safe in the rest of your life, you know, then you're putting all of us at risk yeah. um, and so on and so forth. So, you know, we are, I'm not, I'm not saying that it's foolproof, but we're, we're being very, very careful. And I mean, what do you see next, uh, you know, in the weeks? Is, is it more, is it more of the same? Is that, is that your best plan of action uh, in, you know, for the month of April? Yeah, it's going to be more of the same, just hopefully with a lot more live programming. And how do you think you'll facilitate that? Is that from the people training each other on how to record from home? Yeah, and we got uh, a donor gave us a $7,000 grant to buy equipment for the DJs who needed home equipment. So we bought, wow. we, we bought home equipment for about 25 DJs. We bought 25 DJs a good microphone and a Focusrite box so that they could bring a microphone or two or a mixer into their computer. Um, and then we've been putting up, you know, online training materials, but, but most importantly, just trying to hook um, student DJs up with teacher DJs. 
Well, and one thing one thing I think about is, you know, a station like WFMU has a massive physical music library, you know, full of records and CDs and cassettes. And so how is it different for folks doing a music show from home? Do you have do you have digital files? Are a lot of people using their own music as well as the massive physical library? Like how does that change things? Yeah, it's changed things a lot because most of the home DJs are going to be limited to their own digital collection. Um, we're also trying to help people uh, to stream from other sources, um, Bandcamp, et cetera. You know, but but that makes that that that's much more complicated. You have to get basically virtual audio cables on your computer. So the easiest way to go are people who have their own digital files. Uh, we might try to make more digital files available to people. Our music department is toying around with the idea of trying to make the digital promos that we get serviced with available to people at home. We haven't started doing that yet, though. Um, but everybody's saying every uh, what some people are doing is they're making their own they're making their own MP3s. Also, they're using programs like Audacity to just record a song off of YouTube or record a song off of Spotify and then include it on their on their show. So, you know, we're, we're, it, it does change a lot of things. And the fact that the physical library is hardly getting used now, um, yeah, is, 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 it's becoming noticeable. And, and I'm really going to miss that. I can't, wait for, <laughs> I can't yeah. wait for people to start coming back because we have a new bin, like most stations, there's a new bin. And you'll hear, you know, you'll hear certain records played a few times a day or a few times a week simply because they're in the new bin. And I like that, you know, you have kind of like mini little station hits that start that start happening as a result. And that's gone. Yeah, because there's so few people broadcasting from the actual building. And and are those of you who are in the studio, are you making an effort to play more of the physical music and the new material for that reason, since you're going to have a lot of archive shows being played? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, but I guess the people who are here, like me and Olivia, the music director, uh, and Michelle, the assistant general manager, uh, we were all already playing, trying to play so much new music. So we haven't really adjusted what we're doing. But I'm, yeah, I'm still going through the new bin. Olivia's still putting out a new bin. When she puts out the new bin now, though, you know, she's putting physical records into the library that almost nobody has access to. And then she's putting out a report about what she's putting in there with links oh. uh, to the to the band's Bandcamp page or YouTube video or whatever so that people can sort of keep track that way. Yeah, that's a good idea. And there aren't any uh, physical media hoarders in your in your uh, at-home DJ volunteer army? Oh yeah. Oh yeah, we have physical <laughs> Yeah, we have physical media hoarders also known as record collectors. Yeah. Um, yeah, we got those. We got those in spades. Because I mean, and so, so some, yeah, some people have turntables at home and a mixer, and they're figuring out how to DJ at home, you know, using two turntables and a mixer going into their computer. Yeah, because it's um, we still have the internet these days during the lockdown, but it's it's starting to feel more and more like those of us that collect physical things um, are finally seeing our our day, right? It's it's paying off that we we spent all these years uh, bringing these things home. <laughs> Uh, that were always available if we wanted to leave the house. Now, now here they are, at, close to us, closer to us than they've ever been before. Um, well, Ken Friedman, general manager and program director of WFMU, 
uh, we've been talking on Radio Survivor about how you um, how you've been running your radio station that used to be um, a very busy place for volunteers coming and going to make radio, and they've been doing that for a, a very long time. And now here you are. Uh, you've your radio station was on the air and online uh, during a number of disasters. You know that we all uh, experienced virtually. Although this might be the first global disaster of you know this yeah. might be the first global disaster any of us have experienced in our lifetime. It's, I think that's why the metaphor of the World War II uh, keeps popping up for better or worse uh, to compare it to. Um, I prefer the 1918 influenza pandemic. Yeah, for guidance. <laughs> Ken, so we've talked a lot about music and comedy and sort of irreverent programming on WFMU. I'm curious how much news and public affairs programming, if any, WFMU airs and and so and if that's changed. Uh, no, it has not changed since the pandemic. We've never had a whole lot of news and public affairs anyway. Um, I guess the main news that we do is uh, big tech news on the program Tectonic on Monday. Um, so that's a, a program that's just very, very critical of the big tech companies and and surveillance capitalism in general. And that has changed a little bit in that, you know, the pandemic, you know, has has affected those companies as well and, and certainly has affected everybody's tech habits. So, yeah, that program has pivoted to covering tech news with, you know, with regard to the pandemic. Uh, we do we do two morning newscasts on the drive time show wake and bake and those two newscasts have become at least 50 percent virus related it's becoming very very difficult to find <laughs> to find news that's not in some way virus related um, I'm the news director for the morning show so I'm I'm, I'm I'm the one who assigns the six stories that we run every day and uh, for a couple of days there I was fine with everything being virus related um, and now I'm really trying to just find, you know, at least 50% non-virus stories. And have you changed public service announcements, you know, because now there's all sorts of information, you know, oh, yeah. resources. Um, and so is that, has that become a much more active um, yeah. endeavor? Yeah we're, yeah, we're giving out a lot more public service announcements about, you know, food relief uh, for people who need food help and medical and mental health relief, as well as just giving out general information about what's going on in Jersey City uh, and that kind of thing. Yeah. It's hard to it's hard to focus on like what you know, which areas you want to provide the information on. And um, we sort of focused on food relief, um, especially especially for senior citizens and vulnerable populations who you know, in the wake of what's happening, just literally don't have enough to eat. So we're focusing on agencies like Meals on Wheels and other not-for-profit agencies, especially the ones that are active in our area that are trying to get people food. Yeah, it's a huge problem for people who are sheltering in place, isolating at home, who who can't get out and aren't supposed to get out. And it, I know it's becoming very difficult for people who who can't afford food, but also for people who physically are not allowed to leave their dwelling, you know how how do they get food brought in? So that that does seem like a very helpful yeah bit of information to provide to your audience. Yeah, and even if and even if you can get out, it can be you know risky to go and get food. It can be risky to go to the supermarket. Um, it can be risky just to try to get a bite to eat. 
Um, the other day, I forgot to bring in food. I forgot that I have to bring in food every single day now from home, and I had no lunch, and I went out in the neighborhood in Jersey City just looking for something that kind of looked safe to eat, and I couldn't. I just I couldn't bring myself to go into the local diner, or actually, I did go into the local diner, and then I saw the guys cooking the food in the kitchen, and I said, like, no, I can't trust this, and I left. I and then I went to Dunkin' Donuts, and I looked at the people behind the counter at Dunkin' Donuts. I don't know anything about them. I can't eat here either. So I just went back to the radio station and, and like, scrounged candy bars and nuts, you know, and that's what I ate that day because I just didn't feel safe going anywhere that I would normally go. Uh, so now I just bring food from home every single day. Yeah, it's strange times. Are So in in your area, are restaurants only open for delivery and takeout at this point? Yeah. Although I think in Hoboken, where I live, uh, just the, the next town over from Jersey City, I think restaurants actually, you are allowed to dine at the restaurant until 8 p.m. But nobody's doing that. Uh, wow. Even though you're allowed to. You pass by any restaurant, they're just all empty. That's that's shocking. I, I would not have assumed. Uh, Jennifer and I are on the West Coast. I'm in Portland, Oregon. Jennifer's in San Francisco, California. And um, unless, I'm, unless I'm confused about uh, my reality outside my door, which is entirely possible, um, everything's closed. Everything's closed by order of, of our governors. So I'm a little bit, a little bit shocked that they're in, in New Jersey. Uh, you can go to a diner since um, since you have more cases of uh, of the virus there than than we do here. It would appear, um, but that's 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 a political conversation. Yeah, uh, not a, or a, although things things are changing, you know, day by day. But I think uh, I think as of now, yeah, you can still find some restaurants and diners um, that you actually can eat there. Weird until 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 eight o'clock or so at night. That's. Put that on the bucket list. Have a have a but, late but night nobody's diner doing, dinner during a pandemic. Yeah, nobody's doing it. Nobody's doing it though. Yeah, bun, it's like I, bungee know, jumping without a without a bungee. Yeah. Um, how Ken Friedman? Are you having station meetings of any kind? How do you communicate with the with your staff these days? Uh, just email and Zoom. Yeah. Uh, although Zoom is nothing new that we're not doing anything new on Zoom. I guess we're going to start having our board meetings on Zoom. Next week we're having our first Zoom board meeting. And then uh, I have I have two or three weekly Zoom meetings with software engineers anyway. So that hasn't changed. We're still doing that. But for the staff at large, you know, I guess a core group of about 100 volunteers, it's all email. Mm -hmm. And how do you normally meet with that group? Do you normally have all station meetings with 100 people not not very often but yeah we'll have one or two all station meetings a year and then the rest of it is email and i'm wondering if anybody from your staff has sort of uh if you know you're 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 working in isolation but i wonder if anybody has been able to communicate to you like what working on their show means to them right now during this um extreme social distancing lockdown that that's now you know it's been about three weeks and you know no one really has any good information at all as to how long it will last from here uh i heard you joking on your call-in radio show last night that uh it's a lot longer than your co-host was assuming i don't know if that was a bit or if that was a real realization no. for him yeah he's he's optimistic that things are going to get back to normal by may or june and i don't think there's any way until there's a vaccine available or until the 
until the virus has infected almost every single person it can possibly infect. So I, I don't see this ending in the next month or two. So I'm wondering if anybody in your, you know, who makes radio for you has sort of uh, let you know how important it is to them that they get to keep doing that job. Well, interesting you should say that people are loving it. People are loving making their shows from home. In fact, in my view, they're loving it a little bit too much. Um, I've had a number of conversations with DJs who've told me, you know what? I never recorded my show from home before, but I love this. I want to do it like this all the time. And I have to say, well, I really want to get back to live radio all the time. <laughs> so don't get too comfortable pre-recording your show at home. And please keep working on trying to get a live streaming rig going from home. Oh, because you, def- you want it to, even if it's at home, you want it to be uh, in the moment that it's being listened to. Yes, it's really important to me. Yeah, tell us, um, tell us I don't, why. I, don't, um, I went on a drive from Virginia to northern Michigan, I guess, two summers ago. And whenever I go on a long drive, if I'm by myself, um, I just dial scan the entire time. I put the FM dial on. I dial scan that five or six times. Then I do the same thing on the AM band. And uh, if I'm if I'm taking a car ride with other people they won't tolerate that but this was a ri- this was a ride i was i was on this ride by myself and um it was really upsetting because almost all the radio i heard whether it was non-commercial or commercial am or fm it was almost all automated and i heard so many automation errors and it was such an impersonal feel and i just never felt during that 18 hour car ride that I had stumbled on a human being on the radio and I was there with them in real time. And that's what the, that's the best thing about radio and in terms of radio's companionship abilities is to feel like you're along for the ride with this person who's saying these words right now in real time to me. And I don't want to lose that. I don't want, I don't want FMU to, to sound like an automated robot radio station, which unfortunately in the last two weeks it has sounded more like that than it ever has. Uh, and I know that I had no choice. I'm trying to keep the schedule intact. You know, I'm doing these things for a reason, but I'm trying to get back to live radio, live real-time radio as soon as possible. Yeah, and, and you know, one of the things that is possible during the social distancing lockdown, uh, whatever we're going to f- figure out how to, how to talk about it, um, is, you know, people can broadcast live from home and, and you're getting that technology online there at WFMU. But you're also mentioning that um, it's very important to you that um, your DJs come to the building. I'm wondering why. I mean, because we know that now um, there's lots of people speculating outside of the world of radio that, um, well, I happen to have, I have a friend who told me that his boss said weeks ago, guess what? No matter what happens, we're never going to have an office physical office again this is great like you're working from home now and like when things go back to normal plan on working from home and it would appear as though uh you know there's that opportunity is going to be grabbed by a lot of different um organizations uh during these strange times why why is wfmu going to put a priority on getting people back into the building so that because it's a community radio station, so it's supposed to be a community of listeners, and I, I want the DJ staff to also be a community. I want people to see each other face to face, you know, to go out with each other socially, to spend time together socially. Um, I want people sharing common parts of the library, like the new bin, 
I want to easily be able to get certain announcements out there. Um, I don't want it to just be, you know, 55 isolated people who happen to be piping their show into the same server. That, that doesn't sound so great to me. Um, but, but I think you're right. I think that when this is all over, a lot of people are going to say, I'll do my show in real time. I just don't want to trek to the station. And, you know, I'll deal with that then. I really, it's still very important to me that we have a studio that real, real time human beings come to. That's going to be an interesting time period when, when we all return to our communities. And I imagine there's going to be some rebuilding with, with folks who, you know, you probably have a lot of people who commute a distance to do their shows at WFMU. So adjusting to commuting again when they've been at home. And, you know, so I'm, I'm sure everybody will want to see everyone again and be at the station again, but there will be this period of major adjustment. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's already, like I said, I'm already dealing with this uh, effect of people finding it so convenient yeah. to put their radio show together from home without even having to get out of their pajamas, you know, uh, and they want to keep doing that just because it's convenient for them. Uh, but I'm I'm on the lookout for the whole station. So, you know, I don't necessarily want people to do the thing that's most convenient for them. Yeah. And I want to do I want I want to do the thing that's right for the station as a community station. One of the things I think that a physical station and I know, you know, Ken Friedman, general manager, program director at WFMU, your radio station put a lot of uh, resources and effort into building uh, uh, spaces for live music to be performed. And uh, if there was ever a celebration that a radio station could uh, could put forward uh, when we can get back into the same rooms and breathe the same air together and uh, and touch each other on the shoulder, uh, a, a live a live music concert would be um, would be a good reason to uh, to see one another again. Yeah, we have a performance space and we've canceled everything that was supposed to happen there. We've also canceled our upcoming record fair, which was supposed to happen the end of this month. Um, and uh, we have we have not canceled one show in our venue, Monty Hall. Uh, that's, I think, for May 31st or somewhere around there. But I I'm pretty sure we're going to have to cancel it. And, and and I just I just don't think that if and when the quarantine is lifted, the quarantines are lifted in New York and New Jersey. I don't think people are going to flock back to public spaces so fast. I just, I, I think this is going to take a long time for people to get over. Yeah. Well, I, I can't wait to hear live music uh, on the radio. I'm, I don't think that Zoom is the right audio technology for our times. Uh, Ken Freeman, General Manager, Program Director at WFMU. Thank you so much for joining us this week on Radio Survivor. Best of luck and uh, keep up the good work there at your freeform radio station. Thanks, Eric. Thanks, Jennifer.